0: Welcome to So You Want to Be a Witch, the podcast for soul-centered entrepreneurs and the people who love them. Welcome back to So You Want to Be a Witch, the podcast for soul-centered entrepreneurs and the people who love them. And I am here today with Kat of The Olive Trees and The Moon. You might know her from Instagram or from her blog. I have had the immense privilege of getting to know Kat over on the internet land for a little while now. I was like, I don't even know how long we've been chatting. Um, Kat is a homesteader, a knitter, a folk herbalist, and a mother. Um, and we're going to talk today about all the amazing things that you are doing on your land and in your life. Welcome, Kat. Thank you so much for being here today.
1: Yay. <laughs> Thank you for having me. It's unbelievable to be on this side of the podcast today. <laughs> I'm so excited. Um,
0: tell us a little bit about you know, who you are and what you make in this world.
1: I've been born and raised in Portugal, and me and my partner live on a small stone house on a hill, like pretty much up there. <laughs> and and over here for the last um, few years, we've been just focusing on building our house up, making gardens and planting trees and fostering our small local community and oh, it just like so many things to put into <laughs> just a few words and most of the things we do here seem like really mundane but then they have like a really beautiful impact and yeah like it's hard to talk about things <laughs> that just seem it, are just so much a part of my day-to-day um yeah. what do I do here um, knitting on <laughs> most of my <laughs> time. <laughs> yes. <laughs> hey, that's like
0: one of the first things that you and I connected on. It was so funny preparing for this, um, call today. I was like looking through some of your old posts and our old conversations. And the first thing I realized, Kat, I haven't picked up my knitting needles in a month. And my anxiety has been, I've been, I've my, I've my anxiety has been crazy. And I'm like, what's wrong with me? What's wrong with me? And I was like, you're not making anything. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh no. <laughs> oh, no, there's like so much pressure sometimes. Um, mm. yeah, like with making. It's just like this ebb and flow, and you go through times where you're just creating a lot of things, and sometimes that includes knitting as well. And other times you're just like navigating things at a really slow pace and accepting that maybe you want to get anything done, and that's totally okay. Yeah. Oh my gosh. How are you feeling about not picking up your needles for a month, Sarah? I feel bad. I feel bad. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> um,
0: no. It's I, I. I. noticed that knitting and and making things with my hands that have nothing to do with like the internet, for example, or my job, is a really important way that I take care of myself. So the fact that I haven't done that, I was like, oh shit. So I. I pulled out my my project and I put it like where next where I sit in the house. So I'm hoping I'll pick it up next time. I feel anxious instead of just like, you know, spinning out.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I feel you. Yeah. It's yeah. Like creating just for the sake of creating or for doing something. Um, I don't know. Like, I feel like it's as if we kind of lost touch with creating things offline. Um, So I can totally feel you on that. As in, like when I spend too much time working and living, like so much of my life, like through a screen. Um, be it like because of work or because I'm like going through a weird phase in which I spend a few hours like scrolling through Instagram, God knows why. I feel that I'm like losing touch with something, and it's a very weird and sometimes honestly frightening feeling. Anything like forcing myself to like go out and go for a walk even if i'm not like creating anything i i go out and pick a few plants and make a bouquet to put on the table or yeah i don't know it's weird um i don't really know where i'm going right now with this <laughs> like with my narrative but, <laughs> but yeah balancing those things that are like so important for our mental health um
0: I started it rambling about anxiety and knitting so I will take responsibility <laughs> <laughs> it's all your fault <laughs> it, it is
1: definitely all my fault
0: um oh, there's so many cool things I want us to dive into but I'd love to start by talking about your decision to build a house on a hill, on um, <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> I mean, How you describe it? We live on a hill. I was like, yes. Um, <laughs> uh, what brought you to that land? And you know, how did you come to a place to decide that you know, creating your like building your own home uh, was was the path y'all wanted to take?
1: That's such a good question. Actually, like building the home was never really a part of the plan, and this is because. Okay, I will get there soon. Let's let's start by the beginning. When I was like, I've always okay. Let's start even more at the beginning than that. Growing up, <laughs> <laughs> we always visit my grandparents. Uh, from my dad's side, and they lived on the hills, like more mountainy than we are now. And that's where my father grew up. And um, they lived in a very small village and. They grew their own food, and they had their goats, and there was like this very strong community feeling on the village, and because it's just a few people left. As like, you know, over here uh, there's a big demographic um, desertification, and everyone is fleeing from from the interior and the small villages and going to cities. So that was being reflected already. As we were growing up. Um, and I've always enjoyed these visits to just like a few days with them and going out with the goats with my grandfather and going to the gardens and strolling through the forest. So that always had a very special part. Um, like it held a very special place in my heart. And then as I was um, just before I went to university, I was planning on spending a couple of years, <laughs> like one or two years, by myself in this place where my grandparents uh, lived. And at the time, they had already passed away. So I wanted to go there by myself and just connect a bit again with. With the self self reliance and with the self discovery and with these more hermit sides of myself, um, that ended up not happening. My parents were like, "I we think you should like study before and then <laughs> jump into that." I was like, "Okay, fair enough." So I did I did my university studies, and you know, by the last month, I was already like, "As soon as this is done." I'm sticking to that plan. (laughs) (laughs) And it's funny because as I, so I'm from a small town and uh, like a smallish town. And I did go to the capital to study. I studied arts and that was like the only place where there was um, a university that I would like to attend on the subject. So I did go there for that. And it's funny that it was in the capital that I got to know a lot more people that, were leading similar lifestyles to what I wanted to do and that ended up like by visiting friends in the city or being part of like political debates or um, that we came across in protests wherever like I would find these people and be really fascinated because they were doing this thing that I didn't know that if anyone else was doing which was to move away from the city and plant their gardens and live like super remotely and build their houses. And th- that started feeding even more into the desire I already had. So on my last year, I ended up um, meeting my partner, Sam, as I was like checking around and then I was staying in a squat in Brussels and he was there and I was like, oh, you know, in a few months, I'm go- I'm going to move into the mountains and I don't know, like you wanna come? And they're like, Yeah, sure. <laughs> of course I can come and maybe like let's like have a family and whatever. I was like, oh yeah, that sounds like fun. <laughs> it was crazy. Like uh, whatever, like whatever happens, you know. <laughs> so that really happened. <laughs> I finished the studies and the next week. I enrolled in a permaculture course that lasted like two weeks, and as soon as the course was done, I took like I don't know a track. I don't know how I get there, like a car, whatever, a hitchhike, I don't know. I ended up in the village, and like two weeks later, Sam came and met me there. Our original plan was to stay in the house that had belonged to my grandparents, um, but it was like too much in the village. Even though at the time there were only like 19 people living in there. Um, we wanted to have a feeling of like more being more detached from not detached, just like have some more space and distance so apart from the house, my grandparents also had some pieces of land, and in one of the pieces of land, there was this old stone house, like a two story four by four meters stone house, um where they used to put their oxes and store their potatoes. <laughs> And we went there and we're like, oh, like we can live here he was like we could totally live here. So we started turning it into a home and we learned a lot along the way on like, um, like what makes a home, which was a big thing. I, and we started doing the gardens there. We installed our first solar system in that house. Which is still like nowadays, how we have electricity. And it was just this amazing learning curve. This was six years ago. And then I got pregnant. And then, after a very beautiful home birth, our daughter was born. And there we were, the three of us, outside, like just on the outskirts of a very small village. Far away from everything. All of our neighbors, we were like then 21 at the time, 21 people. <laughs> mm-hmm. And everyone was above, I don't know, like 60, 70 years old. So it was an amazing environment to learn. Like I've learned so much, so much on, that's how I started into fall herbalism and truly growing food and growing trees. And understanding how it works, even more than I did at the permaculture course, which was, which was amazing, was just having this experience from the elders. It's something mm. I will cherish, cherish forever, learning from the people that still hold this knowledge. So it was amazing. Well, it was just the two of us. But after our daughter was born, we were, we were really hit by this um, feeling of isolation. And we started thinking about moving out and going somewhere else where there are other young people, where there's people we can have like different conversations with and that just, just are little, a little bit closer to our uh, age range that also have kids. And at the time, we had started to make some friends on the hills where we are now and understood that there's a very strong community over here. So when we finally had the chance financially to start thinking about moving somewhere else, because that was a big thing for us, like none of us had any income. Well, for the two or three years we were living there, it was like intense. We moved to where we are now. Um, So we started all over again. (laughs) Except this time, the house is like in even worse conditions than my grandpa's little shed was. So, yeah, we moved here three, two, three, three years ago. And yeah, one of the main differences is that right now we feel really more connected to everyone around us. And there's just a much more sense of shared experiences. Because... Many of the people here, especially in our neighborhood, in our community, are people that have also moved out of cities and started something, something new here. So most of them are, have built their houses from like local materials and have their energy from solar panels, and have like amazing gardens. And that's that's exactly the piece that was missing where we were before. It was a great a great place to start from. We had so much, we learned so much, but the social aspect was definitely like one of the biggest factors for us. So yeah, what was the question again? (laughs) (laughs) I think you answered it.
0: I'm no, I I love hearing it. Thank you for sharing. Uh, This is I'm gonna maybe embarrass myself here on the show, but like. I'm a total child of the suburbs and the city and um, two generations removed from my family that were farmers. And it's amazing how quickly that like was just completely lost. Um, It wasn't until I moved to where I live now in North Carolina that I knew that like people could build their own houses, like that literally never crossed my mind. (laughs) <laughs> I know it's wild, right? I Every mean, I knew obviously like, I knew people used to like somebody had to build the house I lived in, right? And also that like, but like you know that's like for professionals, right? You hire a contractor and an architect, and as a result, I think now especially living in a community where people do have more, where I know lots of people who built their own houses and put in their solar panels and do what you talk about. I just love hearing those like how folk kind of discover that. Um, because I am a total city kid, and I'm like, wow, you can build things, you can grow food, (laughs) which is, I think, actually really sad. (laughs) Um, No,
1: no, it's not sad, it's just like, I mean, times change, and okay, so in defense of, like, the house building thing, we would have, we never really built a house from scratch, and, and we wouldn't, and the reason why is that I think there are enough houses around. Yes. You know, there's like, <laughs> like I see like the the interior of this country is like so desert from people. And there are so many abandoned, abandoned houses everywhere in villages, outside the villages. Honestly, it breaks my heart a bit <laughs> when I see like people building houses that didn't really have to be built because you couldn't mm-hmm. just like. Re, re, how do you say that, like re the house that already exists and that was built with love and, you know, it's someone's sweat and hard work. And instead these houses are like breaking apart and being like dismantled or just like left to, to the weather to be done with them. And why, why not keep the life of these places going on? that was one of the most beautiful things about the la- the the house we live in during all the process of like buying the place we did it all like directly with the owner which is still a very common thing where we are i know that other people have different realities with real estate agencies and everything but over here we're still very lucky to have this proximity so this lady told us like the lady that used to live here she told us everything about the, the story of this place so it was built by her grandfather like maybe like 100 years ago and it's a very small house like fairly small it's like four by six meters which i'm not sure how that's how much there is in non-metric um, measures but it's not that big okay guys it's like and a family of nine used to live here and then mm-hmm. the next generation there were seven and she was one of them so that's like her generation she grew here with her parents and with five, six, seven yeah four siblings and then yeah they moved out for some reason so just knowing like so many people used to live here like this house is in so much and when we arrived some of the walls were in pretty bad shape there were trees growing inside the house which is just one division so it's just four walls literally there are no divisions inside mm-hmm. and yet all these people live there and cooked in an open fire inside the house mm-hmm. and there's like bits and pieces from the lives that have passed here, like inside the house, and it was just so beautiful to care for this and to just allow this house to keep on being what it has been since the beginning. So, we did yeah, we did all the work inside uh, with friends and neighbors, and then we also extended uh, a little bit for the outside, which is where we currently have our kitchen. So, we only have these two divisions the bedroom and then the kitchen. And then like a bathtub in the kitchen. So figuring out how to separate little things. Um, and, and yeah, and I couldn't really imagine doing this from scratch. Obviously, because it's like, it's hard. It's hard to build a house from scratch. It was amazing to start with these four stone walls. But yeah, it's also, I would feel at loss if um, if I felt that by me building a house, it means there's probably another house that has had so much life inside of her um, is like breaking apart and going into ruin. So, yeah, <laughs> makes sense.
0: Yeah, I feel like that really weaves well with a lot of what you you share and explore around kind of not <sighs> not just. I mean, I guess I'm kind of thinking in terms of like, you know, low waste and like, what are like the, what are all the cool hashtags, like low waste, zero waste, uh, you know, slow fashion, Um, (laughs) but this, you know, uh, but this, this, you know, this idea that like, there's this house, like there's, there are these, these four walls, like that you, you have something to start with seems really aligned with a lot of how you are, how you're navigating the world and the choices you're making. Um, Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm. like and I really appreciate you sharing that too. It's like there's even where I live, there are tons of houses that I mean, and when I lived in New York City, this is also true. There's tons of places yeah. where that that exist that nobody lives in. <laughs> yeah. so, well, it's a whole other conversation, so fucked up. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm kind of rambling now. Um what I'd love to talk about is okay, so we have we we've laid the scene, right? you and your, your partner ran off to the middle of nowhere and rehabilitated a house and had a child and rehabilitated another house. And you have over 50,000 followers on Instagram. (laughs) (laughs) That's the craziest thing. Yeah. Yeah. Can you talk to me about this duality of being a, a homesteader who is, like, <laughs> growing food and living in a home that now has a wall? Um, and and then this online aspect of, of, of sharing, exploring, you know, your life and your work in the public eye.
1: Yes, I can totally talk about that duality. <laughs> and at the same time, like, I have no idea how that, how that happened. <laughs> so... <laughs> like for reference six years ago when me and Sam met I didn't have a phone I had never been on Facebook or anything I still today refuse to be on Facebook even though it's probably not different from Instagram and then yeah then that crap happened and I got a smartphone probably I don't know probably my my family asked me for it so they could see baby teachers whatever uh, maybe I got That's, to a, good, that's a good reason. They needed
0: baby pictures. <laughs> that is a good reason. Yeah.
1: yeah. and and at the time, we were still living, so in my grandparents' village. And as I told you, there was this slight feeling of isolation because it was us and the elders, and there was something missing. And we had some neighbors, like a bit far away who were telling me, like, Kat, you need to start an Instagram. Like, why the heck do I need to start an Instagram for? Because, like, just do it. You'll see. Like, yeah, sure. And then I did it. And I did it. And the main reason was that I wanted to try and connect with other people that were doing similar stuff. I was like, I'm sure there's more people doing this. Like, I've seen it. So when I was still... In Lisbon, like, I've met people who are doing this, although they're, like, not the kind of people that goes on Instagram anyway. Like, they don't have smartphones, so what am I going to find? Let me see. And I created that account, and I started sharing. And, well, here I am today. Um, Apparently, people are really into, (laughs) I don't know, into this kind of thing. (laughs) And... I know, I know that like part of it, and maybe like even the most of it, is just due to like the privilege I had of like having parents that could support me while going to fine art university where I got to study photography and that helped shape my visual culture and the way I grab a camera and the way I portray things. So, yeah, I think there's, like, a huge part of, of why my Instagram has grown this much. I guess that people like the way I photograph things. Uh, so there's just a lot of um, aesthetic in that, and I love portraying beautiful things. Yeah, and then everything else, I don't know. I guess, I, I think a lot of people, like, live through that. Um, Maybe they would like themselves to be um, living more closely to nature or um, gardening in a bigger scale than their balcony gardens. and and it it maybe is like a really nice way of keeping the dream alive, of doing things differently one day if you're already seeing someone doing it um, online. Um, yeah, and especially now, After, well, after slash during COVID, I can see that interest sparkle, like, even more uh, on people. Yeah, Hmm. we're definitely still, definitely still
0: during over here, but that's another conversation. (laughs) 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 Um, you know, I think one of the things I think about a lot, like, as a a coach, for lack of a better term, a guide, (laughs) a facilitator, um, (laughs) <laughs> yeah is is how important it is for us to to have models of possibility that like by you sharing that not only is it beautiful right and yes you you have a beautiful aesthetic it's utterly compelling and you're a beautiful writer you are showing people that it's possible that there is a different way to engage with the world so i love what you share about that being like if we cease you know if we see that someone else has or is doing or is living in a way that we are curious about or aspire to, just knowing that someone else has done, it makes it easier for us to imagine it for ourselves, which is kind of funny when it comes back to it, when you're like, you learned so much from the elders in your village. It's like, there are tons of people who have lived the way that you're living now, <laughs> most of human history. <laughs> yep. Yeah. yeah. It's not that rare. <laughs> except in our hyper-industrialized nations um exactly so do you do you want to share with everyone your your like dark secret that you shared with me <laughs> okay okay like
1: yeah okay I am um, I'm opening the box um <laughs> I'm opening the box but I'm only <laughs> like before I say that I want to say that these only like Started like way after I had my own Instagram, and nothing of what I'm learning with my job is like reflected into like my personal approach to social media. I am a social media manager, or as I like to say, a social media wizard, because it sounds Ooh. much nicer. Much You're nicer. A wizard. <laughs> I'm a wizard. A wizard <laughs> that doesn't know that much, but that apparently knows like a little bit to help um, a company grow. Mm -hmm. um and it's yeah it's funny I mean it only the opportunity opportunity only came like I don't know like two years ago after I was already doing whatever it is that I'm doing on my own Instagram um through someone like I met online like so many of the things I have in my life right now um are due to to my Instagram presence and this job is one of them. And I'm really grateful for it. The truth is that doing social media as a job has really taken away a lot of the joy of being on social media. Mm-hmm. It's just basically what I'm trying to do through my work is to, I'll just say, it's like, to analyze the things that I've been doing naturally and then turning them into formulas and into numbers and into like all of this crap that if if you're there just for the fun, you're not really paying attention to. So this dissecting of what an authentic Instagram presence means of what's like, I don't know, like target audiences and posting times and all of Mm -hmm. that. It has made yeah. me look at social media from an angle that I would never really considered before, and that it can be really nice if you know how to use a platform and maybe you like something really cool and you want the world to know about it um but I just see so many i don't know like platforms and and brands and just. Yeah, just like doing doing it for the numbers and being like, I don't know, it's strange. It's a strange thing to navigate. I really have a love-hate relationship with it. A lot of the joy has been taken away. So I, I still love doing my page, even though like like with most things I have ups and downs and there are times that I don't post for maybe a month and then I will go back and I post like every day for weeks. So I, I don't have any consistency. Um, but my, re- my job requires me to have consistency when I'm doing it for someone else Yeah, I think I've been very good at separating both things and I really like any of the things I've learned with doing, doing social media for others I don't let it permeate into my own personal approach to social media because I'm afraid that the day I start doing it the joy is gone like all yeah. these tools to like exactly how many followers you have, how, which days they unfollow you the most, what's your engagement rate. I've never, ever done those things like for myself. And I have a very strict boundary about that. Like I don't know and I don't want to know. Also because I'm not trying to sell anything. Of course, like, obviously, like, if you're listening to this, and you have a business that relies on social media, like, of course, you should be looking to those things. Like, of course, it's amazing that you have the tools and the data to know exactly these things. But I'm like, if you're doing it just for fun, like, let it still be fun. And don't don't care too much. Really?
0: Yeah. No, I love talking Are you sharing about that separation. I know that one of the things that was really freeing for me was just kind of committing to my social media just being for work, like not making it a, about like, not, not, I mean, I don't want to say like not making it fun.
1: <laughs> but <coughs> As boring really, as possible. Well,
0: kind of though, because oh, when yeah. I was trying to to still make it about me as a person and more about my life and more about like, my experience and and sharing, you know, in in the way that you're talking about and also do it as business. I, you know, those, the numbers made it terrible, right? It felt like a personal, Mm -hmm. like comment on me as a human being (laughs) every time. So it's, it's funny. I've been thinking about like, do I want to start like a for fun Instagram? Like, um, you know, to kind of try to recapture some of that joy, but it's also been very freeing to do exactly what you're doing, what you're talking about. Be like, you know, let the work stay over there. Like there's the work, (laughs) um, and that you're able to keep your space kind of separate from that while still being a social media wizard is is really, (laughs) it's, it's inspiring though, you know, I mean, and good boundaries are always
1: inspiring. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think this, this depends a lot from person to person. Like my social media wizard would say, like, if you have a business, it's really good to let some parts of yourself reflect onto your page because like people need... They need to relate with the person behind the page. Um, a faceless business can be—it doesn't inspire trust. In you, I—I doubt it. Like turns followers into customers. To use like the word, tree. Okay. <laughs> I love <laughs> okay. it. I love
0: hearing these like two different like sides oh of my you.
1: Gosh, what <laughs> am I doing? You're like putting the spider me out in the world. <laughs> I, we, and no one's going to
0: listen to this. It's going to be fine.
1: <laughs> but that that really, I think that requires a lot of self-discipline on not letting yourself be affected by, yeah, like by the numbers, by the people in following and by the, how people respond to certain things. And I know that personally, I, couldn't deal with that I would probably if I had a business I would like most likely have a different account for that because I'm very sensitive <laughs> and I can't deal with rejection oh my god I just <laughs> said this <of> like life <laughs> i'm the same way i'm i
0: i want to like i'm I'm with you i it's so hard i'm very sensitive and i don't take the projection well which has meant like creating very firm boundaries with social media because it is my work and it's like the sarah i mean you guys know i always am posting pictures of my dog and other stupid shit in my stories like it's not that there's no human there but I actually kind of have, this is going to make me sound like I'm a little crazy. Um, I have a list of what topics, what parts of Sarah get put on social media, right? Like as part that's, of the business. Mm-hmm. That makes and sense. Then there's, and then there's all the other stuff that like, I'm sorry, but you guys don't get. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's it's so fine. important. No, that's what you just said there. It's, it's so important that it touches like this topic that I think people some people don't really realize which is what you don't what you see online it's not a full picture like instagram is a curated collection of images and now and this can like completely come full circle with my life and the way it gets put on instagram like no guys like it's not always beautiful clothes hanging on the sun And, you know, it's not always like amazing days in which I'm just like frolicking and harvesting (laughs) wild (laughs) edibles. I wish it was like that. And maybe I do a special effort to capture these moments because I want to look back on my grid and remember that. And like, at the end of the day, it's my choice. Like I will put it online. Yeah, but maybe I will disclose that it's not always like this. I don't know, just we choose what goes online and it's not our full life. And I think sometimes people have like a lot of expectations of the people, like of whoever they, they follow online and require them you not know, like to show everything to, as if just because someone is online, like you have the right to know everything about their lives and they owe you something just because they have a presence and that is really misleading and like it's it's not okay do you, do you get me am I alone here oh.
0: <laughs> no I, I I really I really do people um, yeah the the very same thing that makes something like Instagram so potentially amazing like you know the actual connections you Listeners didn't see this, but when Kat and I got to see each other's faces for the first time on a video, I mean, it's, it's like there's something so joyful about this tool of connection, but that very same thing is what also erodes boundaries and creates like an illusion of intimacy that makes people, and I think like, I don't blame people for this, I think it's a very natural response to kind of constantly seeing into somebody's life, even if it is through a very like specific lens, it it creates like a sense of like a deeper relationship than there is or almost a sense of ownership um, that is can be really
1: challenging to navigate. (laughs) Yes yeah it is and um, you can see like so much of it for example um, like when it comes for example okay this is Really, just an example, and I've just said the word example like three times in a sentence. On <laughs> um, <laughs> the discussions around racism taking place now on social media, which as knitters have already been through last year in January, um, you think you know people because you see them online and think, oh, they're amazing, like it's an amazing person, and then suddenly you realize that maybe they're just like a freaking racist and i didn't see this coming and like outrage like how could this how can this be like i know this person it's not possible um and you can never really truly know someone through through the images they choose to put on their grids yeah that's
0: (laughs) it's been it's been illuminating i think um but, yeah, it's I mean, I found myself, and i have there' are many people I made assumptions about about where they stood, if they supported black lives, like in general, if they support people of color or if, <laughs> and uh and a lot of them don't, it turns out, yes. oh my um, gosh and but that again, that level of intimacy and the feeling like you're seeing people behind the scenes or the feeling like you know their lives through, yeah, through the pictures they're sharing, um. Yeah, I, I, there were so many, there were several very potent ones where I was like, oh, I I assumed we were all having the same conversation here and we're not, we're Mm -hmm. not having the same conversation. You're having a completely different conversation where either you don't recognize racism. I don't see color, right? Or, um, or you, uh, (laughs) yeah, or you just aren't racist. So yeah, it's it's been uh, illuminating in internet land
1: to say the least. Mhm-hmm, yeah, absolutely. Like I don't know. It feels like the am I allowed to swear? Yes, <laughs> oh, okay, like it's like the shit just comes out in a way that you don't expect on social media mm-hmm. through like a lot of <laughs> different topics. ah, um, uh, yeah, we could go like totally in a different but related conversation here about. Uh, social media is like this dangerous place of extremes and there are just no filters and people say whatever they want without thinking of how will these be received um and i think that's like super dangerous too um yeah just like one of the things i don't do is get into arguments on comments comment boxes for example because i feel that People, um, I don't know, like on social media, sometimes you fall into this echo chamber thing. Like yes. <laughs> you can be sharing all the anti-racism resources you want, for example, and the people that follow you haven't followed and the ones that are sticking around, they probably agree with you. And it stays there. And it's, this is like one of the reasons why it's so important to take whatever activism you're doing outside of social media because you think that you might be affecting people on social media, and maybe you are. Like, I've had, um, I've had amazing conversations with people that, like, really learned from whatever I've shared. But after a while, you're just impacting the same number of people. And this goes for both ways. I'm sure that, like, a white supremacist on their account would have the same. And that just makes you, like, so full of it gives you this sense of righteousness. Like what I'm doing is right because everyone agrees with me. And then if you decide to have a discussion with someone that doesn't really think like you on a comment thingy, um, no one is ever going to change their minds because we're all just like clicking the same keyboard. Sorry, you have this expression in Portuguese <laughs> if it makes any sense. Like, <laughs> we're all like hitting our M- hammers on one nail, and I don't know if that really has an impact. And then have like a never ending, lengthy discussion that just left everyone feeling frustrated. So, yeah. <laughs> okay. so whenever I feel like starting a discussion, I'm like, whatever feeling I'm feeling right now is staying offline, and maybe I will direct what I'm feeling towards. Some real action. Where does that be on my local community, or through donation, or through I don't know something else? But it's not happening in a comment box.
0: Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, thank you for sharing, and thanks for for helping to draw out that delineation. Because I do feel like, yeah, I mean, fighting people in the comments is yeah, it's literally never going to change someone's mind. <laughs> Exactly, but you know when we look i think it's so tempting to look at you know social media as being like yeah like you were saying like a potentially potent sphere of influence i mean this may be different i think for folks who are like celebrities like people who have like truly massive followings Mm -hmm. um you know that their impact might be bigger because there are probably people who were drawn to them because they they like an action movie right like it's not quite as um (laughs) as like separate, like, it's like self, it's like self-segregating as, as the echo chamber is, but yeah, the, yeah. <laughs> there's, for, for, for folks kind of in the more general range that we are, um, me being yeah. a, a much more influence, yeah, I just, it's, it's not, I don't think it's making the change that we think it's going to.
1: Unfortunately, no. And like this being said, I encourage everyone to like be vocal about the things that matter to you on social media. And I know it can be so terrifying at first, but like at least pick one thing, one thing that really matters and like share about it because you will impact someone, but then also make sure that you're taking that effort and that energy and that voice out of the screen. Um, because there is this tendency and like we've all seen that happening like big brands and companies posting a nice statement (laughs) in solidarity with Black Lives and sharing a few stories and then that's it they wash their hands of that like it's done I did my part and then you see like no reflection whatsoever of that work on the way their team members are like um the team is composed, who's making decisions on the company and who's profiting, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So yeah, do it online, but also make sure that you're impacting people offline.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And it's hard. <laughs> like we're all learning and no one has got their, their shit straight. So like <laughs> don't be disappointed if it feels like you're not doing enough. Maybe you aren't. I think none of us is doing enough. But don't let that stop you from keep on learning and keep on growing and keep on, like, do the thing that matters to you and having a real impact.
0: I don't want to say anything else because I feel like that was a really beautiful place to close. (laughs) I, was like, I don't want to ruin it. Um, thank you so much, kat for for sharing your experience, um sharing a little bit of of your life, your dark secret, and helping us to also <laughs> kind of come together. And I feel like as a as a nice theme for this episode is like finding that balance between online and offline, right? And yes, especially with our activism, like, Like there's so much to do in the real world, in our local communities or in our countries. And that call to action to take the work offline as well, whether that's building kitchens and raising (laughs) children or fighting racism and supporting, you know, people of color everywhere um, and uplifting those voices that that's work that we need to do, like not on the screen as well. So Mm -hmm. thank you so much for being here, Kat. I so appreciate you taking the time to talk with me today. (laughs)
1: <laughs> I so appreciate you taking me off of my comfort zone and inviting me for the podcast. Um, <laughs> thank you. It
0: was fun. It's absolutely my pleasure. Um, if folks want to come and find you, now everyone is like, oh my gosh, I got to see this beautiful, this beautiful curated life. Um, <laughs> <laughs> With clothes hanging in the sun. Yes. <laughs> yes. Well, and we're like, great, we're all going to move to Portugal now. Um, oh my gosh. You're like no, don't come here.
1: <laughs> oh no, okay. Before <laughs> before we close, and on that note, <laughs> I'm uh, like I know there's a lot of people that want to move to Portugal, and I think like it's great because the, the country is getting desert, But I love encouraging folks to find out like the magic on their own places. Mm-hmm. I think like everywhere is magical. Everywhere is potential, and if you have, like, access to land or to a balcony or to a community community garden, whatever, like, you're so lucky and you can totally make something there and start your journey there and just find out what is, what are, like, your local tools to, like, to feel connected and to to do whatever you want to do. yeah, just like delve delve into the possibilities and the magic of where you are.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I was like, I need to go tend my garden. It's looking pretty sad. <laughs> go tend your garden, please. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we're, uh, it's because my garden is overrun with kudzu, and if you're from the south, you'll know what I'm talking about. Um, <coughs> <laughs> it's embarrassing those are pictures you don't see on the internet is my garden overrun with kudzu <laughs> i'm just saying um kat where can people find you on the internet if they want to follow
1: and get to learn more um, about you okay so on instagram my name is the olive trees and the moon and i also have a blog which unfortunately doesn't receive half the love for my part it deserves but that still exists is alive and it's the olive trees and the Awesome. We
0: will link all of that up in the show notes. You can easily click over, give a follow and enjoy Kat's work. Kat, thank you for spending time with me today. Um, such a treat to get to, to talk to you like actual humans.
1: <laughs> we all <laughs> <are> humans.
0: <laughs> thank you. Everyone listening at home, thank you so much for being here. We make this show because you listen. So I appreciate you taking the time to be with us today. And if you enjoyed this episode, pass it along to a friend, someone who who needs to hear about possibility and beauty in the world. And I will see you all next week. Bye for now.